Hey, welcome to River Ridge. My name is Matt. If you're here in person, glad you all are here. If you're watching online, glad you're watching as well. Whether it's your first time, you've been here for decades, uh, glad that you are here this morning. Uh, so I want to let you know something that you probably already know, and I already knew this, but I was reminded of this uh, this past week, is we have an absolutely fantastic staff here at River Ridge Church. Uh, this past week, we went on our staff retreat uh, from Sunday to Tuesday. Uh, we went out to the New River Gorge uh, to the Young Life camp there called Wild Ridge. So here's a picture of us um, standing on a deck overlooking the, the New River, or I'm sorry, that's overlooking the Gully River right there. Um, absolutely beautiful time um, to be together. And so we went out there on our staff retreat and uh, I had a couple goals in mind. One is I wanted us to just grow in the Lord. Uh, I also wanted us to grow as leaders, and then I also want us to grow as just in our staff relationships and our care and friendship and teamwork with each other. Um, and so what better way to do that than to play paintball? Um, so we went paintballing. So that is the staff playing paintball, and uh, it was a blast. So uh, nine of us played paintball, and it was five women and four men. So we decided to do boys against girls. And um, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. Like, the girls, the first two games just whipped us. Like, it was, it was bad. It was bad. There was, so I, there was one time where I was uh, like, and basically what the girls did is they just hunkered down behind these obstacles and trees and stuff. And, and then we try, you know, what, we kind of got out. So there was one time where I was trying to get ahead, and there was like a, a tree here, picture a tree here, and I'm standing like this, and they're over that way. And I stick just like this much of my head out, right? I stick this much of my head out, but little did I know that I have a huge backside. And so, like Forrest Gump, I got hit in the buttocks. And so... When you get hit in paintball, uh, what you're supposed to do is you raise, you put your like little muzzle cover on and you raise your hand so that the tree is here. And so I raise my hand like this and Rachel Potts shoots me with my arms up from like outside the tree. I mean, this is like, like she's beautiful, sweet nursery, like I'll take your child and nice to volunteers and parents. She is vicious, that woman, like unbelievable. The other funny thing that happened, so I got, like, we played like six games. I got out every time. I never survived to the end, right? So, but one time, uh, I'm out, and I'm watching the women and trying to figure out, why are they beating us so badly? And I figured it out, right? So, um, here's a picture of the course, like, where it is, right? So, that's kind of what it looks like as far as obstacles and so forth. Now, if we zoom in a little bit, that's Kim... <laughs> in the commando uniform, and Sarah nuzzled in behind that thing. And I'm telling you, Sarah, like, she had leaves piled up, and the only thing pointing out that you could see was the muzzle of her gun. And she's just <laughs> picking people off. Meanwhile, this is one of the last games that we play, and we're kind of running out of ammo. And so Kim Nelson, who's in the camo there lying down, she doesn't have any ammo left. And so I'm listening to them talk, and she's like, oh, shoot, I'm out of ammo. But it still makes the sound. And she goes... I got it. I'll cover you. So she just fires. Doo, 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 doo. But nobody knows that she's shooting blanks. There's nothing in there. And so there's like Sarah on the corner picking people off. So um, anyway, all that to say, we have an amazing staff, and I'm thrilled to be a part of the staff here. And so if you see anybody uh, on the staff today, make sure you appreciate them. Tell them that they're awesome. Steer clear of Rachel. Um, 
And, uh, and today, by the way, is Lisa Hurley's uh, birthday today, so we can celebrate that as well. So this morning we are on the, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's the last of sort of a three-part PG-13 uh, part of 1 Corinthians. Uh, but one of the things that I've said, and if you're new to River Ridge, maybe in the last couple of weeks, uh, or maybe you haven't been here since the beginning of 1 Corinthians, but one of the things that I encourage you to do, encourage all of us to do, is to read the book of 1 Corinthians on your own. Um, and so encourage you, even if you were here at the beginning, you'd be like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Encourage you to read the book of 1 Corinthians on your own. Uh, you can pick up a reading plan at the Welcome Center. Uh, it'll help you read it in 40 days. There's some questions to guide you. But encourage you to make that commitment. Say, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians from beginning to end on my own. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into 1 Corinthians. Um, and God, the, the passage that we have in front of us, the chapter that we have in front of us, is difficult, and it presents us with some challenges. Um, and so I pray, God, that as we look at these things in your word, that you would allow us to be challenged. Instead of just tossing things away or putting up a front or dismissing things, Lord, I pray that you would allow these words to penetrate our, penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would deal with it um, in a way that is honoring to you and true to ourselves as well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. I'm actually going to read out of uh, the New International Version today. Usually I read out of a different version, but I'm much more familiar with this version, especially part of it, and I want to use this, and you'll kind of see why as we go along. Um, so I want to read to you a passage or a verse from the, from the middle of this, but it sets up the theme of 1 Corinthians 7. It says, Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, and to which God has called him. So that's 1 Corinthians 7, 17. So throughout the, the course of this chapter, Paul is going to address a number of different groups of people. Uh, and through all of that, he has this same theme, and I've put it this way as the bottom line, is grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. No matter what lot you have in life, no matter where you are in life, grow where you're planted. And I know that on any given Sunday, any given person, as you think about your life, there are certainly some of you who would say, man, life is going well. You look at all the areas of your life. You're like, man, my marriage is going great. I love the age that my kids are. I love my job and the position my job is. I love living here in Charleston. I love the house that we're in. I love the cars that we drive. I love our friendship circles. I and mean, we can, all these different areas of life. And you go, man, when I'm there, I just thrive. I grow. Life is awesome. But I also know that that's not the reality, that at any given moment in time, any season of life, there's usually things that aren't going so well. It's like, man, I'm, I have a job that I'm just not liking, or I'm not liking the project that I'm working on, or my marriage is really pretty tough right now, or my kids, the age that they are, they just plain wear me out emotionally, they wear me out physically. And so we're not always in a phase of life where everything is kind of hunky-dory. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, grow where you're planted. So you may be in a place in life or one part of your life, you're like, I, I would love to change this. It's hard, whatever that is. And what Paul is saying, my encouragement overall to you, is grow where you're planted. See what God has for you in that season, in the season that you're in, in the area of life that you're in, 
and see what is it that God wants to teach me? How can I grow in what God has for me here? So that's an overall theme that we'll see crop up a little bit. So it begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Paul writes this. It says, Now, for the matters you wrote about. Okay, we'll just pause right there. So we've talked about this a little bit as we've gone through this series, through this letter, is that there's a kind of a two-way conversation that Paul writes a series of letters to the Corinthians, but he also gets some letters, he gets some messages from them, he gets reports of how they're doing. And so he says, now about the matters you wrote. And so what he's doing is he's responding to a question that they have asked him. Now, what that question is in its entirety is not completely clear, but based on the response that Paul gives, we can surmise with pretty good, um, uh, pretty good accuracy what the question was. And basically, they were asking, for, they were asking Paul for counsel on the issue of marriage and singleness, and especially marriage and singleness, given that they were in such a sexually immoral culture. And so they're asking him about that. And so in chapter 7, it's kind of a unique chapter because what Paul does is he addresses three different and fairly distinct groups of people. He addresses those who are in a good marriage. He addresses those who are in a marriage that's struggling. And he addresses those who are single. Now, I didn't want to give three 30-minute messages addressing each of those. So what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to take the next, I don't know, whatever we have left, 24 minutes or so. 26 minutes, and I'm going to divide it up, and I'm going to speak to each one of those groups. So this morning, from here to the end of the message, you will get, if we divide evenly, you'll get about eight minutes of sermon, right? That means for the other 16 minutes, you can text or doodle or whatever you want, uh, but if I make eye contact, at least nod with me that it looks like you're paying attention to the other uh, two-thirds that are not necessarily for you, okay? Can we agree on that? Awesome. All right, so first we start with, and by the way, He's not completely linear with his thinking. It's not like he does this section, this section, and this section. He weaves it in and out a little bit. So um, we're not going directly through. We're kind of hitting what does he say for uh, in a good marriage and so forth like that. So we start in 1 Corinthians 7, 3. It says this. It says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Okay, so here's the application. It's pretty simple. Marital duty means sexual relations. So the application is have sex. Write that down. There you go. If you're married, that's what he's saying. He's saying, and hopefully we don't do it as a duty, but he says an important part of marriage is the sexual aspect, the sexual relations in your marriage. In other words, sex is designed to build up and to grow your marriage. Sex is not designed to be a weapon in your marriage. It's not designed to be a tool of manipulation in your marriage. It's designed to build the marriage relationship. Then he continues on. He says, Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So there's a, there's a cultural thing going on with Paul and in this time that we don't practice so far as I'm aware of people doing this, but basically it was a sexual fast. So a husband and wife would say, we are going to not have sex for a period of time as a reminder or as a, a, an opportunity 
to pray for whatever it might be. Could be praying for their kids or their marriage or for rain or whatever it might be. But we're going to abstain from sex for a period of time in order to focus on prayer. And then Paul says this, and this is, I think, what the most important element of this is in terms of helping marriages. He says, Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what Paul is saying, he's saying the absence of sex, even the absence of sex replaced by prayer, the absence of sex in a relationship, in a marriage, is a problem. Because Satan will use that to break apart your marriage. Here's what God wants. God wants you to have an amazing, great, healthy marriage. That's what God wants for you. But what Satan wants for your marriage is he wants to break your marriage apart however he can do that. Heard it said that Satan does all he can to have a couple have sex before they get married, and then Satan does all he can to help a couple not have sex after they get married. Right? That's Satan's job or his, his role is he wants to do that. I was uh, chatting with um, some friends over the summer and they said, uh, they said this, and I'll, I'll just sort of quote them and let it be. They said, having a good sex life is like giving Satan the middle finger, right? I just thought that was sort of cleverly put. But here's the thing when it comes to sex and sexuality. In a marriage, it's one of the areas of marriage that is harder to talk about than other areas of marriage, right? Because there's something that is more personal and intimate and ourselves we are in it's just it is different it's not the same as talking about money or you're late or the kids there's something intimate and personal about it because when there's kind of issues it's like well what's wrong with me don't you love me don't you find me attractive anymore and we ask those kinds of questions and it's all wrapped up in there And so one of the things that we need to do as married people, especially when there's conflict or difficulty, is we need to find a way to talk about this, to communicate about this. Because, you know, when it comes to other areas of life, like we communicate about you come home too late or the finances or working too much or whatever. We find ways to communicate about that. But oftentimes communicating about the sexual area of our relationship in a marriage is very difficult. And so I just say kind of as an application, maybe the application for you is on the way home, you need to say to your husband, you need to say to your wife, hey, we need to talk about the sex area of our life and have a discussion about that. I will say I'm looking out here and there's some parents sitting next to their teenage kids. I apologize for that. If that's you, wait till you get home to have that conversation. (laughs) All right. Second, counsel for a difficult marriage. Counsel for the difficult marriage. Before we get to this, I need to explain a little bit about how Paul writes, because if we don't understand it, then we kind of miss what he's talking about, and we think he's saying something else. So let me, I want to read um, three part, or one part of three different verses. This is 7, uh, verse 10. It says, to the married, this is Paul writing, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, okay? A wife must not, and then he gives some instruction. And then in verse 12, he says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, right? And then 
he says it, and then verse 25, he says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment, right? And I share that with you because here's what Paul is doing and how he writes, because you, you might look at that and say, well, is this just your opinion, Paul, or is this really from God? And what he's saying here is when he quotes in verse 10, and we'll read this in its entirety in just a moment, but he says, uh, but I, or sorry, not I, but the Lord. So when he says that, he's saying, this is something that the Lord, that is Jesus, Jesus has already said this. So I'm just repeating what Jesus says, right? And then he switches and he says, I, not the Lord. So he's saying, Jesus hasn't spoken about these things, but this is what I'm saying. This is from God. And it's important to understand kind of the language that's used there, that Paul is not saying what what Jesus says is up here, but what I'm saying is down here. No, they're both on the same level in the sense of all of Jesus' words are from God, and all of Paul's words that we have in the Bible are from God. There's not a hierarchy of one or the other. He's just saying, Jesus already said this, Jesus didn't say this. That's why we get that kind of language in a few places. So he says this, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So what he's saying here is he's saying this is what Jesus has already spoken about, right? Jesus has already spoken about this, and he's referencing that's in uh, Matthew 19, if you want to read that later. Um, but he's talk, Jesus is talking about divorce uh, as it relates to adultery and some different things, saying if your spouse commits adultery, then that is allowable. You can get a divorce in the eyes of God if your spouse divorces or if your spouse is, is unfaithful to you. But then what he's addressing here is kind of like the question that the Corinthians are asking, like, okay, there's that, but are there any other reasons why it would be okay to get a divorce. And so that's what Paul's addressing here. So he says this, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. It says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So he's saying, if you're in a situation where there's two people who are married to each other, but the one, either the husband or the wife, he puts it both directions, is not a believer, but that person wants to stay in the marriage, then it's okay to stay in the marriage. And he's, he's talking about that because um, one of the things that it talks about, in, actually in a different letter to the, to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but this idea of not being married to an unbeliever. So God wants two Christians to be married to each other, but the question comes up, well, what if that doesn't happen? What if there's two people who are believers and one, I'm sorry, two people who are unbelievers, and one of them becomes a Christian, what do you do in that situation? Do you divorce them because a Christian's not supposed to be married to a, an unbeliever or a non-Christian? What do you do? And so he's addressing that type of thing. He's saying, if the person wants to stay in the marriage, then stay married. And then he addresses the other situation. He says, for the unbelieving husband has been, or excuse me, he's, I'm sorry, he's giving the why behind. He says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So what he's saying, he's saying the why behind the what is stay with the unbelieving spouse 
for their sake, that they might come to know the Lord for the sake of the kids and the stability in the home, right? And, and I would say that that's certainly true in this situation where he's talking about, okay, we've got a guy who's married, neither are believers. Then one of them, the guy becomes a Christian. He says, if your wife wants to stay in the marriage, then stay in the marriage because she might come to know Christ and it's good for the kids. But then what happens if it's the other way? It says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So he says, if an unbeliever wants to leave the believing spouse, it's okay to let them leave. Divorce is permissible if they abandon the marriage in that situation. And then Paul concludes the section on struggling marriage with this kind of picture of hope. He says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And so he's talking about in a marriage that a husband and a wife have great influence over each other, even to the point of being the main person to save the other person in terms of coming to faith in Christ. You know, there's all kinds of marriages represented in this room. Um, And the question is that often comes to mind is, if if I'm in a different place spiritually than my husband or my wife, right, how do I influence them. Maybe I'm a Christian and she's not a Christian. Or maybe I'm a Christian and, and I'm you know, really going after God, but my wife really isn't. Or maybe it's vice versa, right? What do you do in that situation? How do you have that influence, that spiritual influence on your husband or on your wife? First Peter uh, 3 addresses that. This is Peter writing. He says, if any of you do not believe, any of them, so that's talking about husbands, If any of them, if any of your husbands do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Instead, it should be that of your inner self and the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So what Peter is writing says, The way to influence your spouse spiritually, the way to influence your spouse spiritually, it's not by being a nag. It's not by being loud. It's not by arguing your spouse into believing. It's not by being self-righteous. It's none of those things. The way to influence your spouse is by the way that you live. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see the way that you live, the inner beauty of someone who has Christ in their heart and lives that in every area of life. That's the best way to influence a husband or a wife in faith. So, hang on. There are situations about divorce, and you may be asking the question for now or for a previous relationship, and you ask the question, it's like, well, when is divorce okay? When is remarriage okay? When is divorce not okay? When is remarriage not okay? And I'll be perfectly honest. I um, wrote this section uh, of the message about four different times, about four different ways, um, to try and address all the different situations that are here and all the different situations in the past. Um, 
And to be perfectly honest, I gave up, right? Um, and I decided to not try and do that uh, because there's so many different situations. Um, you know, and, and, and some situations are clear, but there's a whole lot that aren't. You know, I mean, if you think about it as a spectrum, you know, on this side, you know, when we're talking about is divorce permissible, you know, if we're talking about adultery, if we're talking about abandonment, if we're talking about physical abuse, we would say, okay, that's, that's all right. That's allowable. Divorce is okay in that situation. But then we go over on this side of the spectrum and we say, well, he snores too much. She, I don't like her laugh, right? I, we, I'm just not feeling it anymore. We go, that, that divorce is not permissible there. God doesn't look at two believers and one snores too much and go, oh yeah, go ahead and get divorced, right? But there's a really, really vast area in the middle here. And I didn't feel like I could do justice to talking about that because there's people who are now in a struggling marriage. There are people who left a marriage in the past and you're like, well, could I? And there's all these kind of questions. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, is on the bottom of your outline, here's what I did, and then here's what I can offer. At the bottom of your outline, it says self-study, right? And on that, and they're on the screen as well, um, but there are about, what is it, eight or nine sets of verses that all deal with divorce, okay? And so I'd encourage you to look at those and study those on your own, right? So that's the first kind of offer uh, is to do that. And the second is, if you want to come and talk to me about your particular situation, uh, again, every situation is so different and so nuanced, I didn't want to just splatter something everywhere. But if you want to talk to me, I would be more than willing to sit down uh, and just talk about your situation and what's going on and provide whatever counsel that I can. One of the verses, um, and I'll kind of conclude with this before we talk uh, about singleness, but one of the verses on there is from the book of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, God says, I hate divorce, right? I hate divorce. says it very clearly. But I want to be super clear about something, especially if you go and read that verse or you hear me say that, is that God hates divorce, but God does not hate divorced people. And it's really important to make that distinction, that God hates divorce. He hates what that does to a family. He hates the pain that you go through in a divorce. He hates the, the scars that are left over because of a divorce. And that's whether it's a divorce for, you know, really good reasons or really bad reasons. God hates divorce and the, and the pain that comes from that. But God loves the divorced person. God loves you. A divorce does not change his love for you. And I would say that even if in the kind of my two scenarios or my you know, ends of the spectrum, that you may be the person that was, who, who was cheated on, right? And God still loves you. Or you may be the person that did the cheating and caused the divorce, and God still loves you. And, and you might be the person that snores or the person who left the marriage for a really dumb reason, and God still loves you. And, and here's how I know that. I know that firsthand. Because though I've never been divorced or committed adultery, I do snore. But I sin. I commit sin. And I know that God still loves me. And I want you to hear that. That though you may be divorced and God hates divorce and it pains him and the pain that you went through, that God loves you.
All right, let's turn to our last section is counsel for singles. We start here, um, and this is uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 8. Okay? Uh, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So Paul is saying here that if you're unmarried, either you're divorced or you're never married or, or you're a widow or whatever it is, it's good to stay in that situation, right? Again, remember I talked about grow where you're planted. We can grow where we're planted in a good marriage. We can grow where we're planted in a difficult marriage. And we can grow where we're planted whether we are single or married. But if you're single, it's an opportunity to grow where you're planted, especially, and I don't know how you feel about your singleness, but you may be like, I really don't want to be single, and Paul is addressing this, helping to understand the, the, the kind of the giftedness of single. And I realize that that's kind of a, an odd word to use for that. Uh, but he's going to give some reasons why. But then he says this. He says, it's good to stay unmarried. And he'll give you some reasons for this, and we'll talk about those. But then he says this. But if they, singles, cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. So he says it's better if you can't, not be married. If, if singleness is, is difficult for you, then it's okay to get married. He's not saying there's a prohibition against marriage. And he says this, and now he's going into the reasons. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? A married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. He's just stating a fact, a reality of the world, the reality of life, that if you are single, then you can be singularly focused on doing the Lord's will. But if you are married, then you have to be concerned about your husband or your wife and your kids and your responsibilities, that you just, by reason of how things work, and what God says about marriage, about cherishing your husband and loving your wife and respect, all that, you have this divided loyalty, right? And so he's saying when you're single, there's a great advantage in that because you don't have these divided loyalty. I can remember that one of the biggest fights that Stacy and I had in our marriage uh, was when I, when I forgot about this verse, I guess you would say. And uh, this is back when I was on Young Life staff and I was playing football with these kids uh, and just having a, a great time and getting to know these kids I didn't usually hang out with. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. I was having a great time. They were having a great time. I was supposed to be home so we could leave town, but I didn't come home because I was doing something for the Lord, right? And so I get home and Stacy is not happy. <laughs> like not, not happy. Like she's really ticked off, right? And I, and, and I was smart enough to read the room and I had to go, but I was doing the Lord's work. Bad, right? But I felt like I was, but I come home and Stacy's ticked because I haven't let her know that I'm coming home. And there was this divided loyalty, right? Here's the thing is I should have come home because I have responsibilities to my wife and to honor my word and say, I'll be home when I'll be home. But if you're single, you don't have to do that. There are great advantages of being single. You don't have to make plans with somebody else. Hey, I'll be home for dinner here. I'm staying out a little bit later. I'm going to get up early. I'm, you don't have those things. Then he states it the other way. He says, An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. A married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, 
how she can please her husband. So it's interesting, as you look at this passage, um, Paul was writing to a very male-dominated culture and society. But if you look at all three things that he says, he addresses the man in this, he kind of does it this way, and then he addresses the woman and he does it that way. It's very interesting how he's really pushing the envelope culturally here. And he sums it up and he says this, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right and undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying that singleness is a gift from God to be able to utilize, to grow where you're planted. I was friends with some obnoxiously witty Christians uh, back in college, and I can remember them saying, uh, martyrdom is the gift that you can only use once, and singleness is the gift that everybody wants to give back. So I only found it moderately funny as well. Um, But it does speak to the reality of being single. That many, maybe even most of the single people that I know don't want to be single. They want to be married. But you can miss out on what God has for you if you're always looking and saying, what if? And it's really, again, it works both ways. If you're single saying, man, I sure wish I was married, and your focus is there and saying, how can I take advantage of the time and the phase of life that I'm in, right? You know, and maybe you're married and say, gosh, I kind of wish I was single. Then you look at this first part of this and say, what advantages are, are there to being married? I want to, uh, if you're single, I want to give you three things to consider as we close out here. The first is this. Don't compromise in getting married. Run after Jesus and find somebody who's running after Jesus at the same pace. I meet so many people who are frustrated because they married and they settled. They compromised and they were running after Jesus and the person wasn't a Christian or was just not growing or not very far along. And they're constantly like, I'm trying to pull this person along. I'm trying to pull him along. I'm trying to pull her along. Don't compromise. Run after Jesus and marry somebody who's running at that same pace. The second is this, is don't wait around. Use your time of singleness as a gift from God to grow where you're planted, to take advantage of this season that you're at in life. And then here's the third one, is uh, read or watch or listen to the new rules of love, sex, and dating. And I mention this probably every year or so. This is one of the best series uh, on sex and dating from a Christian perspective. It's by Andy Stanley, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. So if you're single and you've never watched this, listened to this, or read the book, I'd encourage you to do this. This is a lot to process. And so I just want to give you just a moment of quiet before the Lord. So if you just bow your heads and just allow the Lord to speak to you in whatever way that God would want to speak to you and just to have a time of listening. As you're listening to the Lord, reflect on this question. What would it look like? What would it mean?
to grow where you're planted right now and to embrace this season that you're in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, Lord. God, I pray that you would speak to us now and through the week about this. And God, for those of us who are married, I pray that we would have great marriages that last a lifetime, that are healthy and life-giving. Lord, I pray that each one of us in a marriage, individually, would do the things that you want us to do to grow and to nurture our marriages. And Lord, for those who are single, I pray that you would help them to live and to grow where they're planted, Lord. And to embrace this time, even though they may be looking to say the grass is greener on the other side of marriage. But God, I pray that you would help each of us to grow where we are planted, to do your will not to do your will now, and not to wait for some point down the road that seems better to us. God, thank you for your love for us and your desire for us to grow in a relationship with you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.